Good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Curious Anarchy podcast. I am Jermaine Gregory and I have my wonderful, amazing, talented and delightful co-host with me today, Mark Wilson. Mark Wilson, welcome. Hi, I'm here as well. I'm Mark. I don't know who that other guy was that he was describing. I don't know who that guy was we were describing, but I'm here um, with the multimedia, multi-talented friend of people and computer alike. Mr. Jermaine and the rest. So welcome, everybody. Thank uh, we're you, do, Mark. We're going to do part two of the dinner party. And today yes. we're only going to invite female guests. Yes, we're going to uh, atone for our sins of last week. Um, <laughs> I don't know You've how You've gone quiet all of a sudden. Oh. I don't know why. Oh, 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 can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? But it's oh, much oh. quieter. Okay. That's master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, Yeah, so we just wanted to kind of atone for our sins of last week, really, um, where we ended up with an all-male, an all-men lineup um, by exclusive invite only. So this week we decided to do an all-female lineup. Um, So the theme of this is we have five guests that we can invite to dinner which five people dead or alive would you invite mark what's your number one please or right, so, one? Uh, i want you to this week go in a little bit deeper than i did last time um I'm, my first guest would be and, and this is someone i'd really like to sit down over a dinner dinner table and chat to for hours <laughs> to be honest um is rosa luxembourg um she was uh, fundamental in um the failed, we can say the failed revolution in Germany uh, before the Second World War. Yeah. Um, she was, she and her colleague Karl Liebknecht were the two revolutionary leaders of a revolutionary party in Germany that were on the verge of linking with the Soviet revolution to create a, a wider communist revolution. Right. And their biggest threat at the time was a party called the Social Democratic Party probably the largest party in, in the country, a bit like a combination between the Liberal Party and Labour Party here, who yeah. kind of wanted to try and keep the status quo. And at the time, Germany was faltering badly with his economy and people were unemployed, there were no jobs. You know, the, the, the Wall Street crash had affected the whole world, but particularly Germany, given the restrictions placed upon them after World War One. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Mm-hmm. She realised that they weren't going to be able to solve it by the normal conventional manners, and she was proposing a more revolutionary um, ideal, uh, helping the people, the workers, and, and creating workers' committees, etc. Yeah, yeah. They were, uh, I believe, they were part of a group called the Spartacists, and uh, they created a um, an amazing movement, which frightened the hell out of the banks and in the end the banks took to investing in any leader they could that could oppose this this growth Ooh. and in the end they backed Hitler okay. and along that way both Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Lieben were assassinated um, shot uh, without trial um, one of her biggest strengths though was creating unlike say for example Lenin in, in 
the Soviet Union was creating a kind of humanitarian revolution. She was very much yeah. about, you know, people understanding the humanity side of, of having a revolution. Um, so I think she'd be an interesting person to sit down with and talk to at a dinner party. Um, it was Spartacus mm-hmm. League she was part of, yeah. And, um, you know, they spent time in prison and everything, and they spent time writing their, their, their thoughts down. But but, uh, but unfortunately, they um, they were assassinated. Um, particularly when they were questioning, they were arrested and murdered, sorry, uh, by the Conservative Free Corps, the city's police. Um, when they were discussing Germany's role in the, in the First World War, you know, the, the, as a colonist power, and that that ruffled a lot of feathers. I just think she'd be she'd be an amazing woman to sit down and talk to. Absolutely incredible knowledge. Um, oh, you've gone quiet again, mate. Hold on a second. Yeah, apologies. Yeah, there we are. That's better. Mars better. Yeah. So, who's your first guest going to be, uh, Jermaine? Um, my first guest. Um, Creola Catherine Johnson. Right now, oh, okay, she, she was an an American mathematician, black woman, amazing, wow. and she was basically responsible for a lot of the calculations in regards to getting us mankind into space. Oh like, wow! Okay, can you imagine the kind of mind? That, that can put together calculations on paper or into a computer Absolutely and not, no. work out trajectory, volume, speed, like all of these different things, right, that you're taking into account to propel mankind into space. Like, what is going on in her mind? Like, what does she think of? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I wonder what conversations with her are like. Is she very sort of calculated or is she very all over the place you know because like some people they have like that sort of two minds thing like they're really academic in in one particular area but everything else they're like just they have no clue like Einstein was apparently a little bit like that Um, yeah but it'd be interesting to see just to pick her brains so I kind of I've I've got a bit of a fascination with mathematics as well Okay, I'm currently reading this book by uh, Bobby Siegel called The Life-Changing Magic of Numbers. Okay. Um, and it's about how math shapes everyday life, how everything wow. is, is, is all randomised. Um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to kind of like... Was she um, one of the characters in Hidden Figures, The that film about... Yes, she was, uh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Interesting, very interesting, very interesting. Yeah. So already the dinner party is looking very, very uh, enjoyable in terms of the the conversational side. Absolutely. It's looking amazing. Yeah. Um, and I want to add to that by inviting Dolores Ibaruri Gormez. She was a leading character in the Spanish Civil War. Uh huh. Um, her name actually was uh, her nom de plume her uh, nickname was the La Passionaria okay. uh, which meant the passion, the passion flower and she's famous throughout Spain for the term no pasarán which is uh, they will not pass right at the time 
Spain was going through uh, a change where it had a united front government, a sort of democratic government made up of socialists, anarchists, communists, nationalists, etc. Oh, wonderful. Uh, it was wonderful, but they proposed uh, a number of ideas which the old school found horrendous. Um, and one of the army battalions, in, based in Morocco, would you believe, part of the colonial part of Spain, um, revolted and came back to Spain to try and challenge the, the democratically elected government. Okay. This is often seen as a microcosm for the Second World War. It was a, um, it was a model of how, if there was going to be a Second World War, it would pan out. So on one side you had, let's say, liberals on the left, and on the other side you had fascists. The man who led the uh, Spanish was Franco, mm -hmm. and he was supported by Hitler and by uh, Mussolini. He was given arms, planes, everything. Whereas the Democratic Front, the, the, the United Front Party, wasn't given anything by um, France, England, any of those countries. They preferred to stay neutral whilst Germany was passing arms across their, their territories. Right. They preferred to stay neutral. Okay. The Passionaria was infamous in her plea to, for them not to give up, not to, you know, surrender against the army. Um, and um, she would be an incredibly fiery person. She had her her, her, her most well-known speech was something like, long live the popular front. Long live the union of all anti-fascists. Long live the republic of the people. The fascists shall not pass. They shall not pass. Not pass the line. That was her most famous um, thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, a cry that's been used everywhere from Latin America to the Battle of Cable Street to stop fascism there. Um, it's a very, very famous um, cry now. And she was the one that allegedly was the first person to to shout that, was, uh, yeah. to, to, to say. And, and, and I think she'd be a very fiery and very interesting person. The other thing mm -hmm. that's worth noting is that she was from the Basque region of Spain, which would be the equivalent of somewhere like Wales or Scotland. Okay. Yeah. It would mean that yeah. she'd be interested in the independence for her region as well, as well as that, in, that United Front. She saw the importance of having the freedom of her own country. So, very, very interesting character to sit down and talk to. I was just going to ask because you, you mentioned Basque. There's there's another part of Spain, isn't there, that that's kind of is it debated or like a territory? Um, uh, Which bit do you mean? Because there's okay, so it breaks into there are. There's Cast Castilla, which is the main part of Spain, which is like England. Right. Then you have the Basque region, which would be like Wales. Mm -hmm. Then you have the uh, Catalan region, which is Catalan, Barcelona. That's the one. Yeah, that's yeah. The, yeah. And then lastly, you have Galicia, which is another part. So these four parts all make up the United Spain. But but for the three parts, Franco attacked them successively mm. in his reign from thirty nine to. 75 where he was he was unopposed dictator fascist dictator in europe when even after the war they allowed him to stay in charge of spain can you imagine so that's a question a lot of people would like to ask western leaders about how that was allowed to continue i'd be more interested also Sorry. for me a question yeah. that stems out of that is what is this territorial thing because I, I i know of, of a few uh catalonians and when you say, oh, you've, you're from Spain, they kind of go, oh, 
So it's like saying to someone from Scotland, you're from England. Mm, mm. You know, they, they wouldn't be happy with you saying that. Um, mm. They don't see themselves as part. Of it. See, the problem is that seeing one part, one portion of, of the quarter as being the majority or the, the, the larger one or whatever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> they're not happy with it. So the flags of both countries, England and, and Spain, were made up of the combination of these different places. So to describe it as England is the main part and Castilla is the main part is it doesn't sit well with the others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now there's a very famous picture by Picasso of the Bobby of Guernica, which is a town in the Basque region where they just drop planes. And Picasso drew this p- amazing picture, a uh, very surrealist picture of mm-hmm. cows upside down and bombs dropping. It was a very, very famous picture. Um, and it's how much he hated anything that wasn't traditional Spanish. He very much liked the sort of Don Quixote character of loving the traditional image of the church and the king and all things like that, which a lot of people didn't share or agree with. Who's your second mm-hmm. character then, uh, Jermaine? Um, my second character, I would, would have to go for Nanny Maroon. Um, okay. I'd go for Nanny Maroon simply for a number of reasons, really. She was what would have been called a witch. Um, uh, She was an extraordinary, extraordinary military organiser. And she led people out of enslavement. Where was this? She in in Jamaica. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, basically, they, they, she was part of the establishment of a maroon community, which was exempt of any um, like control from any of the outsiders trying to invade. Um, yep. And there's a there's a story um, about all of this that people can kind of who are listening can kind of go and look up. Nanny Maroon. Um, she 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 had a brother who was called Captain Kojo. And um, basically, she's from, or they're from, the same tribe or same community of Akan in uh, Ghana oh, yeah. um, called Karamanti or Karamanti, um, which is but like, so basically we're from the same sort of family lineage. Okay. Um, I don't know where we're kind of connected, but um, it'd be interesting if we were, if, if I was actually a descendant from um, Nanny Maroon, but uh, just knowing that I, I'm part of the deep, deep history of survival, of, you know, keeping it going, of, of keeping it moving, of, of constantly having that sort of high level of awareness, I think is, is really intense, really intense. But, um, I just love to pick their brains. Like all of, all of these women that I'm going to pick today, I just like to pick their brains. Um, strategy, I find all of that fascinating. Um, excuse the uh, the noise in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Nanny Maroon. Wow, that's interesting. How, um, so that so far, that dinner table is looking pretty impressive in terms of conversation. Mm-hmm. 
I want to bring someone who's both an amazing character and almost slightly a mythical character as well, in as much as no one really knows the true story. Um, she's known to many by different names. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think which name I should I should bring up first, I suppose. Um, uh, let's think. I would suggest um, the name Makeda. Okay. Most people would probably know her as the Queen of Sheba. Right. Yeah. Um, she is central to so many character stories of the Jewish, Christian, Arabic, Ethiopian stories as an incredibly powerful queen who, at the very least, had some relationship with Solomon of the of the King of Israel known as Solomon the Wise. He was meant to be a very wise king. Um, the story is that somewhere along this this um, union is the lost tribe of Israel. And, and you might find, for example, that Rastafarians attribute being lost uh, or sort of um, black Jews. And that would come again down to this line of Queen Makeda along with uh, Menelik I, who, who later went on to become the emperor, again, mm-hmm. probably from this line. And many of the stories talk about when she first met Solomon, she brought an amazing array of um, spices and gifts for him. Mm-hmm. A caravan of valuable gifts. Um and it would just be incredible to hear some of the stories she would have had from the life she would have lived. Some of the journeys she would have been on, some of the experiences she would have had, and some of the knowledge that she would have. Uniting Jewish, Ethiopian, Christian, etc., cultures and, and readings and stories of the time. I think she'd dominate a lot of the party that we'd have, I would imagine. <laughs> she'd be quite central. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, who's your third guest then, uh, Um Okay, so my my third would be Mary C. Cole. Oh, yes. Um, her story is just typical of, of this history that we receive, that we're taught. Um, being a very significant figure during the Crimean War. Yeah, uh, Crimean. Yeah, yeah. Crimean War, yeah. Um, and doing what she did. I mean, she set up a hotel and, and was looking after, you know, her soldiers behind the lines. Like, she was a nurse that was on the front line. We talk about our, our essential workers now. Like, yeah you know during those kind of times where you're risking literally risking your life you know for for bullets or bombs or whatever um it's a very there's i think there's a parallel and i think you know what's what would be really interesting is to find out who would be the mary c cole of today oh yeah and that that would be that would be interesting it would be very interesting um but yeah um 
Mary Seacole, it would be wonderful to hear the stories about her travels from Jamaica to England to being behind the lines and all of that kind of stuff. Like, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, about the soldiers that she cared for, you know? Um, especially during that time when, I say especially, it's like racism still exists today. Um, when it perhaps would have been more open and, and more of a, there might perhaps have been more of a novelty aspect um, about it. Um, dealing with people who hold such prejudices, but yet having to care for them because it's your job. I think that saves a lot. And I think when, when I kind of think back to our love in the time of cholera, oh, yes. um, the example that we gave with the black woman, the African woman and the patient, I think they had Alzheimer's or something. It was very Mary C. Colish. It just kind of reminded me of, of, of that scenario where women feel that they have to continue. Um, women who are from a, a poor part of minority groups um, feel extreme pressure to push beyond some of those <clears throat> rights um, that, that, you know, people that are white or of the majority would have absolutely no regards for, for you know, exercising. Yeah. She, she didn't have to stand there and take that, but she did. Um, but yeah, I'm sure Mary C. Cole will have received her fair share during that time. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to invite her. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Again, some of the stories she would be able to tell would be fascinating. You know, the stuff she'd have seen and, and that she could probably talk about um, would be really interesting. So thank you. That's a good choice. Very good choice. Thank you. Who would be your number, is it four now? We're on four now, yeah. So yeah, there's a woman yeah. that was born, uh, christened as Magdalena Carmen Frida Caulo y Calderon in 1907 in Mexico. Her name, known to most people, as Frida Caulo. She was probably one of the most famous Mexican painters and artists. Right, yeah, yeah. There's a few things I think people don't know about her which would make her interesting and also quite a fascinating character to explore at a dinner party. She, um, at the age of six, she had polio which left her with a very damaged right foot and a right a damaged right leg. She limped for most of her life. Uh, at 18, she was in a car crash that ended up with her having a, a, a plate put in her body, a metal plate for the rest of her life. Um, most of her paintings or a lot of her paintings of self-portraits have that image in her, the idea that she's affected by metal. You know, there'll be paintings with a, a big metal pole all the way through her body to show the, the pain that she was growing up with and living with. Okay. Uh, she then went on to marry Diego Riviera, again, one of Mexico's most famous painters. He was a fantastic mural painter. He did decide to build it in the United States, in Mexico, often about the whole culture of Mexico or about revolution, incredible pictures. And they were a very strange relationship because he was quite a very portly man, very larger than life character, and she was a very traditional looking Mexican woman. Um, but they had a functional relationship. 
He had lots of affairs. She only had one affair. Her affair was quite interesting. It was actually with uh, Leon Trotsky, the Soviet revolution leader who ended up exiled in Mexico. And when Diego was away, uh, she had an affair with Trotsky, um, which mm. again would lead to an amazing conversation. Can you imagine the kind of conversation you'd have um, talking to her about that? Uh, and um, what I didn't know about her and didn't realise fully until now was that she actually died in 1954 which is quite late when you consider the image people have of her a lot of people would assume that she was that she died much younger like um, earlier on in life than that or earlier in history than that let's put it like that quite surprising that she lived to 54 so very interesting person to have had at a dinner party and she would join your fourth guest, who would be? She would join my fourth guest, who would be? Drum roll. Um... You know what? Growing up, Ooh, yeah. watching like TV watching the news um, in terms of like representation uh-huh. and diversity and inclusion and appealing to, to, to the sentiment of somebody who looks like me yeah and Moira Stewart oh good choice right <laughs> good choice there's your right uh, one there you go one because like she was basically like the the twin of Trevor McDonald, yeah. another black, yeah. you know, news news reader. And it was brilliant having these two grandparents, I guess, in in, in a way, <laughs> you know, kind of growing up being on the news, like people that look like me that I can kind of feel familiar with, and that are in a position of of status and responsibility and all of those kinds of things. Um, all of all of the things that she's like the stories that she's covered like I'd love to know what was her favourite one like what was your favourite story that you covered it's interesting when you get so much news every single day and you'd going back so many so many years and thinking well wonder which one really stood out for her Mm. Mm. that would be fascinating yeah and again, like you said, in representation, it's all right saying it now, but when she started, I don't think there was very much representation, especially in serious media like news reporting. So mm. very interesting to see what her images were of behind the scenes of being the first, sort of, let's say, serious black woman in, in mainstream BBC. Yeah. It'd be very interesting to hear what she had to say about that. Yeah. Good choice, Jermaine. And who would be your fifth guest? Now, my fifth guest, it's its a, its a strange irony because in a way, I'm almost tempted to let you talk about her because you probably know more about her than I do. <laughs> Is it? Well, you see, I've always had a problem in, uh, in recent times that I feel that a lot of young people today, not through any fault of their own, are 
focused and engaged away from political dis- discourse to, to not really have any great knowledge or understanding about history or culture or politics. It's as if society wants them to start afresh from now and just talk about trainers and records and running events. They don't want them to talk about history, culture, politics. So I'm always amazed when I find people that buck that trend and particularly people who who have an, have an understanding and a knowledge that even some of their great elders would rival, you know, that would, would struggle to keep up with because they've done their research, because they have that knowledge, because they've asked questions all through their life, because they've studied and they've learned and they've, and they've filled in the jigsaw, shall we say, of history and of politics. So what a pleasure and a delight to meet somebody in the in the actual group that we both met in, in the Let's Talk About Racism. I'm going to put forward Susanna Austin because I think she... Oh, wow. I think she has an amazing... She's got like the head of a 200-year-old person on her and she's very, very young. So it's amazing to meet people in that generation with that forbearing, that knowledge, that... That, that scope of range of, of, of uh, curiosity and learning. I'm so sure she'll be so chuffed with that. Well, and she'll I, be so embarrassed. She'll be like, oh my gosh. I'm not inviting <laughs> people to the party because they're chuffed. I'm inviting because of the, what, they bring to, what they bring to the table. Um, you know, I just think she could sit with all the people I've mentioned and have a very good conversation um, without feeling overawed or anything like that because she has that knowledge already because she has a scope of understanding of things. She's got like a, a, a breakdown of how things work, going way, way beyond her time. Um, she brings humor. She brings a range of different ideas. She brings studying as a, as a woman with children. I, I was shocked to find out she even had children and that, uh, that they're, they're almost her age now. So, you know, <laughs> fascinating to to find these things out but I think she would absolutely enhance this party of people that we're sitting down with I can agree with that who's your fifth domain? my fifth guest um, I think I kind of really need to pay some tribute to one of my interests one of my personal interests Ooh. which is music oh yeah 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 I I love music it's it's such a pleasure for me it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I don't know who invented music, but thank you to whoever it was. It was probably a woman, but thank you anyway. Um, so, Adelaide Hall. Okay. Um, born in 1901, basically had quite a long career um, spanning seven decades and playing jazz in Paris, New York, Berlin, all over the world. And um, she was crowned Britain's highest paid female entertainer. Okay. Now being black in 1920s, I I can imagine what kind of (laughs) environment she would have been living in. Um, being an entertainer, being or becoming the highest paid entertainer 
or female entertainer, I think really sets a, a, a standard, I think, it really says something. Um, to come from so much adversity in your background, um, I just think it's, it's such a powerful, powerful thing. Adelaide Hall, um, in fact, she died in 1993. Like, I would have been, what, maybe six? Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> six. So, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, she she's someone I would love to invite. See, what's yeah. interesting is that she covered that period. I mean, because I, I, I don't know how I didn't do anybody for music. It's one of my major things is music and sport, for that matter. But particularly music and a dinner party. Last week, I think you'll find we had lots of musicians. I'm amazed I didn't do any musicians. And a lot of the people I would have chosen, she would have interacted with in that period. You know, people like Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday. Mm -hmm. They would have been her Mm -hmm. her contemporaries. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Louis Armstrong and Cab Calloway, people like that. So it would have been interesting to have garnished her opinion of the jazz scene. And also the jazz scene in America, given that she, I think she moved from America to, to London. And yeah. um, her views of segregated segregation America in the thirties compared to her life in England in the thirties. It would have been very interesting to have got that that contrast, that sense mm. of mm. Uh, double standard, if you like, um, double double lifestyle, if you like. So she'd be a fascinating person to sit down with. And alas, she'd be the only one that te- you know, sort of formally, officially, although most of those most of them could, who could do a singing after dinner song because most people would be. I, I, I was just about to suggest that <laughs> yeah. we have to have Adelaide play, please. Um, yeah. I think the others, although they, they do sing, I don't think they sang. What's the word? <laughs> As a matter of course, a matter of notice that people go, oh yeah, they're yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you imagine the songs that Nanny Maroon would have sang? Well, also, can you imagine the songs if she was going to pay tribute to the people around the the table? Yeah. Because I'm sure she'd have known Spanish numbers, she'd have known German numbers, she'd have known Mexican numbers. I'm sure she could have, uh, what's the word, you know, like, padded out for for the different people, cultural songs from their their, their places of birth. So it would have been very interesting. Um, Well, what an interesting guest to have had. What an interesting dinner table. It's probably, although I'm reluctant to say it, probably beats the one we had last week. It's, it's a very, very strong, I think it does. Very strong line <laughs> up there. Very strong. Um, maybe we can mm-hmm. look to next week trying to look at doing something inspirational. Why don't we from now on do a, a five more dinner dinner dates yeah. from each continent. Okay, cool. Yeah, Let's do that. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, say for example, next time we could start with. Uh, let's pick the hardest one, I suppose. Australasia, like um, Australia, New Zealand, that sort of area, and pick five yeah. guests from yeah. that sort of zone, and then we'll work cool. our way back to Europe we can finish with Europe yeah we'll do that okay 
cool. I mean, Jermaine, you you do host the most amazing dinner parties. I'm going to say thank you for the first two. They've been amazing. Um, <laughs> thank you. Please come back again. Look forward to your next one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although if you could cut down on the sweets, they're they're making me less athletic than I should be. So well, well, uh, well you know, I do like to offer choice. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a choice that's killing me right now. So uh, maybe... It was uh, up to you. <laughs> thank you. Well, it certainly left me with food for thought, that's for sure. Excellent. Uh, I want to say thank you again, and I look forward to next Monday's one. Thank you very much, Mark. This is the Curious Anarchy podcast, Monday mornings, by invitation, invite only. <laughs>